Hey, 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 folks. Thanks for tuning in to the Freedom Warrior Podcast today on a Tuesday. I believe it is January 15th already, halfway through the month. Uh, you may notice a little heavy breathing to start out. Um, that's due to a very long walk from the Pentagon over to the parking garage that I have to park at. So it ends up being about a mile each way to and from my car which ends up being all right. It's nice to kind of uh, unwind after the day, but there is a little heavy breathing there because it is a mile walk, and I am not on active duty any longer, so I'm a lot more out of shape than I probably should be, considering the uh, recency of my my uh, service. I got out like a year ago, so I shouldn't be this out of shape, but here I am nonetheless. All right, diving in uh, today ahead on the program, the debt problem. Uh, Talk a little bit about kind of where we are uh, as America, the problem we face. Very surface level stuff, but um, there there is a article uh, I saw in the Wall Street Journal today about the uh, debt crisis and debt denial. Uh, Then next up will be a great quote. And I don't mean that in a good way. I mean in a spectacularly horrible way uh, from Mayor de Blasio up there in New York City uh, relating to money. And uh, that ties in with the last uh, issue. Uh, Then after that uh, program or after that topic, we will dive into the program and focus on terrorism. And this kind of gets back into my bread and butter after serving in the army and working in intel uh so i have got some opinions on this and i'd like to discuss those and finally uh another corporate marketing gone wrong fail social media fail huge fail um only only possible in this day and age uh to to even fail like this because you know, it would require this social justice uh, warrior, you know, bubble to exist in this country for these kinds of fails to occur. And they're occurring regularly with companies just diving headfirst into the swimming pool and there's only pavement, there's no water. They just, I'll dive into that in a minute. Uh, But I'd like to just get started here. The debt problem. So even, and this again, is back to this Wall Street Journal article uh, titled, Uh, Debt denial is a threat to America. And, you know, even with extremely low unemployment and low interest rates, the U.S. has a general budget deficit of more than 5% of the GDP. With the total debt level, meaning all all of the wasted money all added up together equals a bill that is... You know, I think it's up in the 20, 20, 21 trillion at this point. But that that is over 100 percent of the GDP, which is, you know, unsustainable. I mean, we're in a we're in a crisis mode here and we've got people that are advocating for some of the most wild ideas when it comes to spending that America has ever seen. We're already at the point of crisis. So you're trying this is like the person who's on the verge of filing bankruptcy because they have, you know, they went out and bought the, the, you know, the Tesla and they have the, you know, the four or $500,000 house. They have, 
you know, all of this credit card debt and, and student loan debt and all this debt added up. And instead of, you know, getting their spending under control, they're out looking at buying a yacht and then also looking at buying some other investment real estate and also looking at buying, you know, a business uh, for a franchise or something. Um, just irresponsible growth and or irresponsible spending that growth can't possibly keep up with. Um, you know, I mean, growth alone is not going to solve this issue of this It's a, when it's a spending issue. I mean, if you say you had a, even put it on a smaller scale, you had a, um, I don't know, a household income of $80,000 and you had $85,000 in credit card debt, I mean, you would be in a serious problem zone. Like that is like, whoa, what, what, wait, if I, if my wife told me that here I was thinking we were in good shape financially and she told me actually hun um yeah we've got 85 grand in credit card debt i kind of went a little crazy at the mall the past year um yeah we would be having a major issue <laughs> i mean that that is like life-changing amounts of debt that what do you even do with that i mean at least with student loan debt i guess you can get it throttled down to your income level i don't know i, I guess you could probably could still file bankruptcy but you know, that's not exactly a preferable option when you're talking about an entire uh, country. And I don't even know that there really is a uh, alternative. We kind of just have to, um, you know, pay up our debts. All debts are paid. Um, so we're in a dire situation here. And the government borrowing costs will not remain low forever. Eventually, people want their damn money. So if you, you know, if you were to take out a bunch of debt, um, credit card debt, and then you max them out and you didn't like fail to make your payments on time because you're busy paying debts for other, uh, cards, if you will, eventually your credit rating is going to plummet, right? So then you're going to have jacked up interest rates. If you're even approved for things, you're going to be approved with higher interest rates, which means paying more money, which is actually compounding the problem. I mean, if you were not in a position to be able to pay it with the low interest rates, then you're definitely not going to be able to pay it with the high interest rates. So it just, it's hard to pull out of the tip. So, you know, going back uh, to that, to put a cap on it, what do we do to get out of this problem? I don't know, but it needs to be a definitely a, a conservative leaning solution, which involves cutting back spending. But that's the one thing that nobody will ever touch. So, you know, what do we do to get away from this problem? Um, I don't know that we do. So that's the gloomy news. Um, I'd also like to point out in this next piece here, uh, it was from a Daily Signal. They identified uh, de Blasio saying that, uh, I think it was at a State of the City speech. I don't know how recent, but uh, that he, he said, there's plenty of money in this city. It's just in the wrong hands. So I guess my question is, whose hands are the right hands then? And who gets to, de to determine whose hands are deemed right when we're talking about money, which is in this society exchanged freely among people in, you know, transactions that both parties consent to. You know, when I go to Starbucks and I buy $5 lattes or, or uh, coffees, you know, I'm consenting to that in the moment. I'm benefiting. I find that 
overpriced uh, cup of coffee, although maybe it's not overpriced if people will pay it, but my point is I find that worth it in the moment in exchange for uh, that coffee, and they find the $5 more beneficial uh, rather than the coffee because they have lots of it, and they can produce it and, and deliver it efficiently. So whose hands are uh, deemed right, and who gets to decide that? It seems like you're just trying to come after my uh, my money. But anyways, um, and I'm not rich, by the way. <laughs> so I'm just saying all of these dumb policies trickle down to eventually uh, include the middle class as well. So, um, you know, being poor may not exclusively encompass individuals who are poor at handling their money, but there is certainly a corollary effect with money and having less of it and making bad or making bad decisions with money and having less of it. So in other words, you know, I'm, I'm not saying poor people don't have bad situations that, and that are holding them back. I get it. Like you make some bad decisions such as go get yourself arrested. You're probably going to have a hard time. Uh, if it's a felony, you know, getting a stable high paying job again, I get that. However, I'm just saying broadly speaking, bad people who are bad with money have less of it so whether you make a lot of money or you make a small amount of money people that are bad with money end up with a little amount of money so you know try for example if you want to test this theory go blow a thousand dollars at the casino and the strip club and tell me you know oh and by the way on the eve that rent is due and that's the last of your money and then tell me that there isn't a correlation between the two because there is there is you give why do you think when people win the lottery you know a good chunk of them end up you know bankrupt because people who are bad with money whether they're bad with a little bit of money or bad with a lot of money they're bad with money that's the that's the connecting tissue to that is they're bad with money you can't expect them to make great decisions with their money no matter the the uh the, the dollar amount in their checking account. Um, so going back here uh, to continue on with his brilliance, de Blasio blamed Reagan and Trump for their tax policies. And um, I'm not sure really where he was going there because uh, you're talking about GDP growth under Reagan that exceeded 7% in 1984. Uh, 7%, and that's coming off of, you know, an economy that was not doing that well before the 80s, the early to mid 80s. So to go up to 7%, that is astronomical. Um, I think between 83 and 89, the average GDP growth was 4.6%. 4.6, that is a, you know, a full 1.6 points higher than, well, I think it's like 1.8 points higher than Obama achieved annually for any of his years in office. He, he never exceeded 3%. And Reagan averaged 4.6 for his entire, uh, for that entire stretch, which is unbelievable. It's one of the most, uh, astronomical, uh, growth periods of growth in the entire U S history, which is saying something because we're the most prosperous nation to ever exist on planet earth, um, throughout all of time. So that's, uh, that's pretty remarkable. Um, so I'm not sure exactly where de Blasio is going with that, with, uh, Reagan to Trump with the tax cuts, tax cuts, have only caused 
revenues to go up. They've never caused them to go down. And I challenge anyone to ever uh, provide data to the contrary, and they can't because they'll, they'll, the only thing they'll say is that, well, revenues are always going up. So, yes, of course they went up. They just didn't go up as much as they would have bent one up. No, they went up even after a tax cut. That should tell you everything you need. If we can keep it, the growth of revenues relatively consistent even after cutting taxes, then why on earth are we burdening all the rest of our Americans uh, with these increased taxes? Anyways, uh, I digress. So uh, also, I want to hit on the fact that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, since we are talking New York, is suggesting a 70% tax bracket. And there's another candidate uh, for 2020 uh, on the Dem side who's suggesting a 90% tax bracket. I already blocked out his name because I don't think anyone knows who the heck he is or cares. But I mean, the fact that he's suggesting a 90% top tax bracket uh, goes to show how insane the left is getting. Um, you know, and these aren't even fringe movements. We're talking about people running for president and someone who's in Congress. I mean, that's that's pretty pretty wild. And I guess my question to him would be, why not confiscate 100%? Let's follow this logic. Let's one up. I I, I find to find to show how radical leftist policies and philosophy uh, can be. It, it's best to just take it one step further and does it sound insane and the answer would be yes is 100 percent taxation insane yes that's that's completely insane you're going to get zero tax revenue if you do that zero you're going to get zero maybe negative because nobody is going to be paying tax it's going to be more a burden on providing for all the rest of uh uh you know the middle class and lower when all of the rich people flee the country and never you know invest a single dollar here why would they do that if it's 100% tax? Like, does it make sense to you? 100% tax, you idiots? Like, this is this is what you're dealing with. This is the level of economic um, literacy that we're dealing with. People that are just about up to 100% in taxation and what they're looking to implement. Now, obviously, they'll never implement it. But I'm, my point is, I don't think conservatives will implement a lot of things they recommend, but none of them are that insane. A hundred, a ne- nearly 100% tax rate for the rich i mean what do you think is going to happen just use your brain for a minute um i don't know i mean what wouldn't the incentives just kind of be completely backwards and destroy all future growth if we followed the suggestions of these utopians um all right anyways um on that same note uh to to wrap this up here i there was a study back in 2016 that said, uh, it was by Harvard, from Harvard, uh, people at Harvard, either way, it was a Harvard study. And it said that the majority of millennials prefer, prefer socialism over capitalism. So, um, I'm shocked, right? Because you're telling me that immature adults at the bottom of their income, uh, earning potential who are eating ramen noodles, playing call of duty, doing keg stands and, this is all taking place during a period of time when they have their the least responsibilities they'll ever have in their life. Uh, these people prefer a system of government governance that rewards doing nothing and or mediocrity. You're telling me that? Why would I be shocked at that? Of course they believe in, in socialism. They haven't had a paycheck yet where half of their money is yanked away or you know a third of their money is yanked away when they had to like put in a ton of hours you know with with uh, blood, sweat, and tears, you know, trying to 
meet deadlines or who knows, whatever kind of setting it is, whether it's construction or a blue-collar, white-collar setting. Either way, people have job stresses and they really earn their damn money. And to, to, to actually see it, I can't imagine a person who looks at their paycheck and, and just thinks, I wish more of this was being just sucked up by the vacuum that is the government. Like, I, I can't imagine a person who, who just thinks, you know, the IRS, uh, boy, I wish they could just come, you know, really take it to me. Just, just don't even put on a boxing glove. Just, you know, put on one of those like little eight ounce gloves like UFC's, uh, fighters have and just punch me right in the gut. You know, (laughs) like that's, that's what they're looking for. And And take my dog while you're at it. You know, just take my dog, you know, in fact, just here's a key to my house. Come in and take whatever you need whenever you want it. I just, I, I understand. I owe the government. If you ever feel like I'm a little behind on the payments, you know, just uh, sneak in in the middle of the night and uh, steal my wife's jewelry or something. You know, like, what are you doing? Like, this is what we're basically talking about with the government and the level of taxation that these these progressive uh, uh, socialist types are, are advocating for. Now, as late as 28, I was still a forklift driver in a factory, going to school full-time, albeit online, but still full-time, full-time, or more than full-time, doing uh, forklift driving, just trying to get by. So I totally get where kids are coming from with the socialism thing. They just don't realize how close they are to getting out of that, uh, that phase of life, that chapter of life. I didn't, if you asked me, Back then, let's say when I was 28, if I would be where I'm at right now and just making the amount of money that I make in about three to five years, I, I wouldn't have believed it. I would have brushed it off. I would have said, nope, no way. Um, I kind of understand why we need all these government programs. And I really didn't change to be a conservative or lean in the conservative direction until that time. I was, I still had, you know, certain things about me that were conservative, but Um, certainly when it came to, you know, patriotism and, um, you know, just love of country and the constitution, but I didn't quite understand the correlation between like the the underlying philosophies between the two sides and what it really meant. But I, I definitely didn't think I would be where I'm at, but the upward mobility in this country is unparalleled. Anyone can make it in this country living it, it, you know, to at least to the point of, you know, getting to the American dream of having, you know, a house, a car, wife, kids, stable work, you know, et cetera. You know, not, not like suffering. Uh, they're, they're, they have the, the new gadgets, every, you know, not all of them, but they, they can afford to get a new, you know, smartphone. They have a, a 4K TV in their house. And, you know, they have, uh, they tell Alexa to do whatever, to shut the hell up. Um, so I, I, people can get to where they need to be. They just don't realize how easy it is to get there. Uh, on that note, uh, next up after this, like I said, I'll get into terrorism. And then lastly, I'll, I'll dive into that corporate uh, stupidity story. All right, so terrorism. Not a fun subject, right? Always a lot of, a lot of negativity surrounding this, and for good reason. Uh, there's terrorism happening everywhere, uh, domestically and abroad. Or as we say, CONUS and Oconus in the military, but, uh, so 
there was an attack in Kenya at a hotel. Uh, some Islamist terrorists. I'll just I'll make it simple. I'm not going to go into the specifics of you know which terrorist group or anything, but it was there were some terrorists, some Somali uh, Somalian terrorists that blew up a, a hotel in in Kenya and. I just see a, or hear a, a deafening silence. I hear crickets, generally speaking, from the media on this. And I, it's predictable at this point. So uh, whenever there is an attack, you know, you'll notice the initial preloaded um, responses often from the political types, whether it's on social media or the, the pundits on TV. But I guess my question is, does it matter when the attack happens in Kenya, even when there are no straight white males for thousands of miles to blame for the problem? I mean, it's a serious question because I I think as it pertains to Western culture, you see a rapid, almost immediate um, desire to pin the blame in some way or counter a claim um, that, that pins it back on white men, um, almost any, or at least on conservatives just in general. So, you know, if it's a shooting in America, it immediately, before the bodies are even cold, uh, you know, it's immediately a Second Amendment uh, gun control issue. Or if it's, say it was a bombing, and it was, a, you know, Islamic uh, radical, uh, we'll, we'll say an ISIS supporter even, who, who kills, you know, 30, you know, you'll see immediately stories of making that story about, you know, Islamophobia, or you'll see counter stories showing, uh, that white, white men are just as, as bad when it comes to terrorism or something along those lines. So I guess my question is, as someone who's been close to this, you know, does it matter when it happens on the other side of the world and there are no white people involved? Why is it is it that obvious? Like people just don't care. They just, they can't pin it on people. Um, you know, it's, it's an internal problem in, in Africa. I mean, all people involved outside of maybe some people at the hotel. I mean, I I can't say for sure, excuse me, who was at the hotel, but you know, it was in, in the middle of Kenya. Um, you know, Somalians who are committing the attack it's it's all over in Africa. There were there was no Western people involved in this story. So my question is where when do Western liberals begin to care about problems like that? What would they propose be done to fix that? Because I know what they'll say for domestic issues. They'll say gun control. They'll say get rid of Islamophobia. Be more welcoming. You know hugs. You know, hugs and, 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 you know, rainbow turds. I don't know what they exactly advocate for. It's always something utopian um, and not quite in touch with reality. But, yes, I'm just asking, like, what would you do away from here? Like, not just Europe either. Because I know what they're, they'll have the same similar, uh, they'll have very similar responses for Europe. You know, uh, just be more welcoming. We don't need hatred. We don't need this and that. Like, as if, yeah, we're just a little too hatred. That's why they're flying planes into our buildings before we were even, you know, even over there. I mean, we were over there in Iraq, obviously, before. But I'm just saying, um, we're not, we were in, as of 9-11, 
we, we did not have the big war machine running yet. Yet, they were still flying planes into our buildings. The building I just exited, by the way, the Pentagon. So I think about that daily when I go to work. I walk in, I'm like, wow, okay. So there was once a time, upon a time that terrorists flew a actual airplane into this building. That's insane to even think. But that the fact that an ideology drove that and that ideology persists, it's still out there. You can't combat it. You can't, and that, in, in some ways, I understand why people want to get out of the regions. But all of that, you know, pro-war, anti-war uh, talk aside, I guess my uh, my point I'm here making here is that you know people don't care. A lot of uh, I'm saying liberals, like Western liberals or progressivists, um, don't particularly care about this uh, attack over in Kenya. And I can tell you why. Like I just said, there are no white people involved. There's no conservatives involved. There's no boogeymen that they can pin this on. It's purely the ideology, and that's all you can really pin it on. And even then, they'll they'll uh, deviate from uh, that point and say it's just. Uh, you know, circumstances like they, uh, they're just situationally, uh, you know, disadvantaged or, or oppressed. And that's what led them to such, you know, to basically strap a bomb on their chest and go blow up a bunch of innocent people, which that's not how ideologies work. That's not how radical, um, you know, Islamists work. It's not cause I mean, Osama bin Laden had tons of money. He's still, you know, orchestrated all of, of 9-11. So, um, anyways, uh, we still have to, we still have yet, I'll say to, as a society, um, recognize radical Islamism as a threat. I'm not talking about just Islam in general. I'm just talking about the radical religious piece to that, the wart that is on Islam you know, uh, or however you want to look at it. Uh, you know, cause back in 2001, we were actually coming somewhat close together on this issue, but that was because the evidence was impossible to ignore because it was right in front of your face. All you had to tune was do is tune on, uh, tune into the TV, uh, any news station, you'd see the, the buildings, uh, you know, on fire and crumbling and the people screaming and panicking and the heroes and, and the, you know, it, it was right there. I mean, people did not just fly planes into a building for no reason. It wasn't because they just didn't have quite enough money and they really hated us for having a little money. No, like they hated us. And I can tell you with my experience, it's a lot more religious based than people are willing to admit. Um, so I, when I dove into this story, I, I Googled uh, how many Islamist uh, terrorist attacks take place worldwide annually. And thanks to Google, um, there were four major results in the top end of the feed that offered left-wing sites rebutting the frequency and, or prevalence of Islamist uh, terrorist attacks. Uh, one of them was a Vox article, which was the most extreme one, and on the front page of, of this search that I just typed in, uh, it, it said, it was titled, White American men are bigger domestic threat than Muslims. So, just to give you an idea, that's that's what we're working with here with Google. So, thank you, Google, for that. Um, but the real number, when I got to it, I, I know it's in the thousands uh, as far as numbers annually of terrorist attacks. And the numbers in the tens of thousands of actual people killed globally, that is. But I can't even accurately search 
for this result without jumping past countless front-loaded Google articles trying to obfuscate the reality of this problem. So um, there's good evidence right there that we're not closer, but we're further apart on this now, Uh, well after 9-11 now here in 2019. Um, the we, the media would have you believe these are some you know disgruntled Somalians who are acting out of uh, situational despair, as if that's um, you know if that were the case, then what what's the c- case for the other seven billion people on the planet who aren't committing uh, terrorist acts in the name of a, of a religion? Um, you know you've got for example Christians over in the Middle East who've practically been uh, wiped off the face of the earth, which is incredible considering how many of them there were uh turkey at one point was 100 percent christian they are now 100 percent uh islamic almost close to probably 99 percent. how does that even happen by the way uh just converting wholly from one to the other um yeah it's a unique problem and i don't know that there's a military solution to it so i guess i could dive in more to that later let's have a little light-hearted fun here with uh, Gillette, they dive headfirst into stupid. You may have heard, but if in case you haven't, Gillette, you know, the company that makes razor blades, and uh, I believe they even make Dove uh, products for women, but they make razor blades for men and the shaving cream that goes along with them. They put out an ad that uh, puts men on blast for their toxic masculinity. Um, I guess my question is, what would happen if... We, if they put out a Dove ad blasting women who are catty, overly emotional, vindictive, and prone to drama. Uh, I've heard some women can be that way. Um, feminists would cause tinnitus in the ears of all Americans listening, uh, if that ever occurred. And they would immediately retract their, uh, their ad and out, out would come the, the podium it couldn't come out quick enough for them to get out there and apologize and get in front of that. Uh, but nonetheless, it's opposite. Uh, when it comes to men, it doesn't matter because uh, that's where we're at as a country. Uh, so I would ask you to add Gillette to your growing list of companies who uh, hate conservatives and, uh, you know, free thinkers, center of the road, moderates. I assure you that they hate you too. Uh Grow a beard. That's my recommendation. Grow a beard. Look into uh, Harry's or uh, Dollar Shave Club if you choose to not have a beard. Not all of us can grow a beard, but I hear you. Um, let's see. Yeah, I'll just say for the love of God, don't give Gillette one cent of your money. Uh, it sucks for them because unlike a pair of Nike shoes... You may remember the Kaepernick. They sponsored uh, Kaepernick. We gave him a huge deal and virtue signaled and, um, you know, probably pissed off a lot of conservatives. But anyway, nobody has to go buy a pair of Nikes each day. But people do need to shave each day. And that is that is not a question. If you are the type that wants a clean-shaved face, then you have to shave daily. And for, you know, decades, that's been Gillette. They've been the powerhouse in that industry. Obviously... Uh, recently, there have been other up-and-comers, like I said, Harry's and, and Dollar Shave Club, who've been uh, kind of putting it to them. But, um, you know, Gillette is still the powerhouse. And so they jumped in head first. This doesn't ever work out. Um, but, you know, the, the toxic masculinity uh, phrase, that, that's brought to you by the same folks, by the way, who, who brought you microaggressions and white privilege and safe spaces. 
So, it, in other words, it stems from radical social justice warriors who get off on the misery of society, uh, who have to listen to them ramble about nonsense. Uh, here, here's my prediction. Men have been men, and they'll continue to be men, no matter what a company says, as uh, they have been doing so for the past couple uh, or more thousand years. Uh, I always thought that it was impressive how ap- uh, how activist scientists believe they can alter the weather, you know, with climate change. Like, if you just do this, you know, we can we can alter the weather, basically, is what they're saying. If you, if you follow their, um, what they're saying to the logical conclusion. But what's almost more remarkable is that people think they, they can collectively, in one broad push, like with an ad, change the behavior of all men to cause them to behave less like men. Like that, they think that's actually a thing you could do with an ad. That's, that's insane. That, that, that you even think that's something feasible. That your, your little ad here is going to better society by just, you know, pulling men away from that, that toxic masculinity. Uh, unbelievable. All right, so diving in here, quotes of the day, theme of the day, it's going to be Jordan Peterson. None other than the old JP. All right, so first quote. And if you think men are, if you think tough men are dangerous, wait until you see what weak men are capable of. Um, that that directly ties into the Gillette ad. Wait, wait till you see what weak men are like. You want you want men to not be toxic. You want men to not be men. Wait till you have a world filled with Justin Trudeau's. All right, next up. And I threw out Justin Trudeau just because, you know, for Jordan Peterson being Canadian and all. Um, You know, anyway. Uh, Next up, Jordan says, I don't think you have any insight whatsoever into your capacity for good until you have some well-developed insight into your capacity for evil. That's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty remarkable to think about when you actually let that one uh, marinate for a minute you know do you know you're, you're so busy virtue signaling in the case of being a social justice warrior but do you even know your capacity for evil or do you just think you're not capable of it because you're blinded by your you know your your good that you're most definitely giving society by being a, a sjw well i think that's the difference with a lot of conservatives is they actually are humble uh to some degree I mean, they are humbled by God at the very least, uh, in, in, not in all cases, but I'm saying, broadly speaking, again, uh, and that isn't the case with, with a social justice warrior. They don't know their capacity for evil. They only think of their capacity for good. Um, next up, you're going to pay a price for every bloody thing you do and everything you don't do. You don't get to choose to not pay a price. You get to choose which poison you're going to take that's it um it, he's speaking to the fact that no matter what path you go down it's a choice even not making a choice is a choice so there is a cost to everything that you do in life and in some cases you're going to have consequences there will always be consequences for every choice or, or lack thereof you know you choose not to go to college okay, but what path did you go down? You, you may have, there are opportunity costs, there are all kinds of costs. You can't 
eliminate costs from a society. That's why socialism will never work because costs will exist whether money exists or not. For example, if you're on, you know, it's a combat medic who's out in the field, you know, on a mission and there's a bunch of people who've been wounded, you know, he has to on the spot quickly determine who is, um, who can be pushed aside for, you know, another five or 10 minutes while he attends to, you know, someone who has a limb that's, you know, blown off and he needs to get a tourniquet out immediately or he's going to lose all of his blood and die. Uh, that's an on the spot decision that the, the prices are and costs are built in and you have to, uh, you know, you have to be able to evaluate that on the fly and no money is involved at all in that. And there's still prices. And, you know, I think a lot of leftists don't really like to think about the world in terms of, you know, incentives and consequences, prices. And, uh, that's really all capitalism is. It's just putting a price to the cost of, of a product or a service and putting a price on my labor to, you know, to get paid and then use that money to exchange my time for that said uh, product or service or resource. Uh, all right. So I'll try to get to a couple more here. Uh, he says in intolerance of others views, no matter how ignorant or incoherent they may be, it's not simply wrong. In a world where there is no right or wrong, it is worse. It is a sign you are embarrassingly unsophisticated or possibly dangerous. Uh, I'll just let that one stand as it is. Uh, next up, ideologies are substitutes for true knowledge, and ideologues are always dangerous when they come to power because a simple-minded, I-know-it-all approach is no match for the complexity of existence. And uh, this ties in a lot with, uh, well, not yesterday's, but Friday's uh, episode when I was talking about uh, Thomas Sowell and his quotes. I was just reading uh, Basic Economics by him again recently, and he brought up how, he constantly brought up how complex society is, uh, particularly the economy, but uh, Jordan here is speaking just across the board with ideology. Uh, You have no idea how complex the world is to think that you know it all, to think that you have all the answers is the first sign that you don't and that you're a dangerous person and I want nothing to do with you, politically speaking, in power of me. And that is basically every modern Democrat, every progressive. They all believe that. Almost, I can't I can't think of one who doesn't believe that. Um, at least maybe they wouldn't tell you that, but I think they would, uh, with their actions and with their words, um, when they're not directly talking to you on that subject say if it weren't posed as a question, they would they would believe that. I, I assure you they believe that they have all the answers or that they could get kind of close to it with enough experts, with enough bureaucracy, with enough power, with enough money. I think they truly believe they have the answers. The difference is with a free market system, you let the things just work themselves out rather than get in there and play God, you know, among men. Um, last one. Um, when you have something to say, silence is a lie. So the way I've uh, interpreted this, at least as a conservative, is, you know, conservatives who throttle their opinions just to appease society around them are lying to themselves and to society. You have to be able to be yourself or it's a lie. 
it's you know silence can be a lie if you are bullied into being silent that is you living a lie because you you aren't being able to put your ideas and your thoughts out there in the world because you have a fear of people calling you some of the worst names for just speaking truth or how you view uh, the world. That's and I'm not talking about genuine like you know racists out there. I'm talking about just everyday people who just happen to be conservative. Uh, don't buy into the leftist uh, you know intersectional uh, you know, racism and garbage crap. I'm that racists exist, but you know, you have to be able to be yourself. So just be yourself, stay true to yourself and, uh, constantly try to grow, you know? Uh, all right, coming up tomorrow, I'm going to talk about the race card and how it's become a joke. There's a CNN analyst who calls a radio host guilty of white privilege. One problem. The man is black. <laughs> uh, da dun dun. All right. So uh, next up as well after that will be the origins of progressivism. A little history. Uh, Woodrow Wilson, to be specific, one of the the founding fathers, I'll say, <laughs> of progressivism, American progressivism, um, and the rising star in the Democratic Party, possible 2020 candidate, Beto fraudulent Beto. His name is not Beto. Uh, anyways, Beto O'Rourke. He's been heard stating that he wonders uh, if the values from 230 years ago still apply today. And that's obviously in reference to the Constitution and its validity t- in present day. And I'm going to highlight how he sounds exactly like Woodrow Wilson did in this regard just 100 years later. Still pushing the same utopia. So, uh, not much has changed there. For for all of the the talk of progressivism and how, you know, they're the party of progress. Uh, actually, they're the party of Woodrow Wilson, and nothing has really changed. I mean, they're still pushing for the same crap. So, uh, on that note, have a great one. Take care, folks, and uh, you know, enjoy that freedom. <laughs>